is dropping in, you know what that means. It's time to begin, and wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you are one of our geeks and sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Don't you worry, we're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes with gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, Mac, Weldon, and Squarespace. Squarespace! They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis, the guy who lost a lot of money by betting heavily on the Puppy Bowl, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. I wanted to say hello to Matt as well. Thanks for listening whenever you get to this. And speaking of geeks, not in sneaks, we were at the beach yesterday, and I was like, hey, I have running shorts on, and I ran like four miles on the beach from Santa Monica to Venice. Um, I don't got I, sandpaper feet today. Sandpaper feet. Uh, yeah, my feet. Uh, ooh, you know, very exfoliated. But I did get to watch a Coast Guard helicopter chase a boat away. Like it was like, and like I don't know how far out to sea they went or what they were doing. But I was like, this is awesome. And then I was still, you know, running like eight thirty pace because I was in the sand. But it was still pretty well, awesome. So much of the uh, so much of the country and the world is uh, in snow right now, and they're like, you ran on the beach. When was this recorded, man? <laughs> California's over, you guys. It's really over. Yeah. I'm moving up. Hey, speaking I'm moving up north, if you know what I mean. Transition. What? Transition. <laughs> I don't understand what you're doing right now. I was going to say, speaking of when this is being recorded, I should note that we are recording this episode a little early because it's uh, Super Bowl Sunday. So we're recording uh, before the Super Bowl, but you are hearing this after the Super Bowl. So Christian, I want you, Spicedradamus, to tell me who wins the Super Bowl and what's the final score? Patriots 35-14. Wow. I'm going 24-23 Eagles in the last second drive. They, they make it happen. 23? 24-23. How do you score? Yep. Okay. You have – you give two, Right. You have, I know. It's a lot of field goals. Okay. We're both wrong. Anyway, let's get going. We're both real wrong. Anyway, we got to, we're, we're not here to talk about the Super Bowl. Uh, we're here to talk about video games, and we have an awesome guest to do it with. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian, but this week, oh, I'm excited because once again, DLC stands for Diversions and Labors Combined because from Gamers with Jobs, the website, and Gamers with Jobs conference call, the podcast, one of our favorite guests is back with us. Sean Andrich, welcome back to the show, man. Thank you for having me. Actually, diversionsandlaborscombined.com is our first choice for a name, but it was already taken. <laughs> I, uh, I do that. I preemptive, preemptively get the URLs for all of my guests <laughs> that I, may ever happen. Nice. Well, I'm very happy uh, to be here. And as I think that that real smooth transition Christian was trying to pull off there, uh, I am up north in Canada and it is very cold. Oh. And uh, I just I walked my dog an hour ago and I wasn't running on the beach barefoot, probably in slow motion with coast guards and whatnot. Hey, I was walking on a speed of running out of this, Sean, just because it looked like slow motion doesn't mean it felt like it. Right? <laughs> I was walking on a frozen river uh, with my dog and the wind blowing in my face and like I've got a beard. So like I had the icicles going, I had the whole thing. Wow. And, and you guys are just just sauntering around in shorts. It's just it's disgusting. We find you all disgusting. 
Well, you have a very different kind of cool. That is that is definitely uh, its own kind of uh, awesome right there with the uh, the windswept icicle beard. I mean, come on. Yeah, that's awesome. I read an article actually just yesterday in my local uh, hometown of Winnipeg here. They've got a crokinole slash curling rink set up <sighs> at the wow. Forks, which is, which is pretty exciting because that is <laughs> so li- literally all-, all we can do is slide things on ice basically. <laughs> We're all we're all a buzz about the Super Bowl, and you're like, I'm in in on that Crokinole tournament. Heck yeah! Um, I also, sad news report: Sean's dog died. What? <laughs> how how are you out there in icicles on your beard, and you have the dog walking? Like, what is your what kind of dog do you have? Uh, she's a uh, she's a chocolate lab golden retriever cross, although she is black. Um, so she's ten months old. She's got a lot of energy, so she generates a lot of heat. But the secret is something actually called Musher's secret. It's like this beeswax stuff you just put on the bottom of her paws and you know she's fine it's totally good that's performance enhancing and that's why i lost the puppy bowl jeff i'd stuff like that. <laughs> yeah yeah you got to check those puppies for the uh secret uh that's 100 although if, if they're like my dog they'll just lay down and try and lick it off their paws most of the time so that that's Man, that's your have- key we have hit topics I never thought we would hit, and we're only five minutes into the show. I'm trying to be uh, as Canadian as possible. I'm sorry. I just... <laughs> yeah, that's you're 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 doing great. Um, all right, <laughs> let's uh, let's jump in and start talking video games. Starting the show with, the way we always do with story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of video games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit. That's over at 5x5dlc.reddit.com where cool folks hang out and talk about the show. So we got a lot of interesting stories this week. Sean, you are our guest, so you get first pick. What would you consider to be the Story of the Week? I think the Story of the Week is a Nintendo Switch online launching in September. Because uh, we've, yeah. we've known it's coming, uh, but it's really interesting to see now what online looks like for Nintendo. They're always way behind everybody else with their whole online thing. We all remember the, I'm sure we have nightmares about friend codes and everything else. So uh, the new one here, what they're launching is the service is going to cost a whopping $4 a month or or $8 for three months or $20 for a year. Is there anybody who's not just going to drop $20 and get it over with? Yeah, it seems like a, seems like a pretty good rate. value proposition. Uh, yeah. even, even as a kid, like with my $1 a month allowance, I could have made this work. Um, $1 a week, pardon me. We we were not rich, but we weren't quite that poor. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's, it's obviously quite a bit cheaper than PlayStation Plus and Xbox Live Gold. Uh, and they're going to be offering a rotating... Uh, fleet of games every month that are actually going to come and go uh, so there's going to be that window to play scarcity kind of like what they've done with splatoon 2 and stuff uh with different game modes so super mario brothers 3 balloon fight and dr mario are the first ones that are going to be coming and it's just it's a really interesting way to do it and although i can see some people feeling a bit chapped that these games are going to be taken away at the end of the month is a sort of ticking like if you're playing super mario say you've never played it before and you're like oh wow maybe this is one of the greatest games of all time but you discovered it three weeks into the month that's like, <laughs> yeah. okay you got seven days or maybe you're gonna have to buy it virtual console or f- buy it on one of the other hundred nintendo systems that have it but it, it's an int- i like it in the sense that because there's a built-in sort of scarcity to it I'm more likely to play it. Like I cannot tell you how many PlayStation Plus games I I have quote unquote like bought to lock in and have never ever touched. 
So the idea that there's just some games that like, oh man, I'd love to try that. In it actually helps to know that if I don't try it in the next few weeks, I'll actually miss my chance. That's probably like a weird huh. me thing, but I actually give yeah. the, what they're charging. I actually like that approach a lot. I feel like I'm the opposite. I feel like I'm I'm the guy that would be like, oh, Super Mario Brothers three was oh that was. That was January. Oh, well, I guess I missed downloading that one. Uh, I feel like I'll, I'll probably miss them more often that way rather than, I mean, I guess I would have missed in that hypothetical, I would have missed it in any of the services. But the idea being that uh, I, I don't like timers in games and I don't like games that are on timers themselves. Jeff, you know, do you know how life works? I have bad news for you, buddy. Yeah, like real bad uh, news. Oh, no. <laughs> Wait, is this, is this about... A dog that's going to die again, Christy, because that was not <laughs> hey, cool. that's not cool. You leave that dead dog out of I'm still right? recovering from you just making a joke about that, by that the way. Like, that, that, that was cool tough. That was tough. <laughs> what am I saying? Uh, the, other, the other wrinkle in the Nintendo thing here is that uh, the games where it's applicable, 8-bit and 16-bit games that you played like as a kid on the couch with your brother in punching distance, now you can actually potentially some of these games play it online with your brother. So where he's in a different building and you can't punch you say when right. you score a goal again this might be like a really specific me thing but i'm really also excited about classic games having online components built into them now i think that's a really cool uh, extra feature that uh, might actually go a long way to generating a lot of excitement yeah how is this not accompanied with a full virtual console announcement e3. because e3 comes before september yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. I, ho- I hope you're right about that, Christian, because it feels like w- what this leads you to, if you're Nintendo, is, hey, here's Super Mario Brothers 3 free for a month. Did you like it? Now pay for it in the virtual console. Did you, wasn't it great playing with that game for a month? Oh, you didn't finish it? Okay, we'll take $4 more for you to have it forever in the virtual console. But since there's no way to do that right now... It just seems like half of announcement, but maybe you're right. Maybe that's just the second fun, exciting thing that they're going to be able to announce. Well, I mean, I think Nintendo's done an incredible job at this baby year still so far of 2018 of dominating press cycles with consistent announcements, whether it was the mini direct, which announced games like or showed games like Celeste and uh, Donkey Kong, Tropical Freeze coming to Switch and Bayonetta and stuff like that. It wasn't like the hugest thing, but they still got them a good week of press. And they did Labo, got them a good week of press. Now, this came out of their investors call. And I think all of these things could have been big announcements uh when i get to my story i'll it's going to continue the nintendo train but these all could have been big announcements that i think other companies and even nintendo in the past would have run out as like this is our online service but i think it's fascinating the way they're kind of just slowly but surely releasing things and because nintendo is nintendo and so incredibly popular right now with the switch that all of these become big stories even though nintendo's kind of just like by the way it's out in september and everybody else is kind of left trying to catch up to, you know, get their game or their console talked about right now. It's interesting. Yeah, I guess that's true. I, and they are uh, certainly embracing this direct to the audience and small instead of, you know, cramming everything into a big, uh, you know, broad press event. It is these micro announcements that are very direct and very uh, specific. And I think that's that's been pretty effective and it's certainly interesting to have this one be so far ahead of September, right? I think uh, this is something we've all been waiting for for a long time. I think 
it's interesting because it, it, this announcement feels like a positive thing, but they're really taking something away in a sense because people who have Switch and have been playing online with games like Splatoon 2 have been able to do so for free. And this is essentially them saying, you can't do that after September, um, which I guess we always knew was was coming, but they're framing it like this, re- this really positive thing. And I don't think many people are upset about that. And certainly the price point is low enough that um, people aren't, too upset about it. So I, I think ultimately this is going to be a pretty uh, positive thing overall for people, but it has these little prickly points that Sean kept, you know, n- noting. And I agree with where, uh, you know, it's, it's not all rosy news. It's not all completely how you would want it to be, but um, I don't know. I guess, I guess it's a positive thing, right? Well, let's, let's see how they handle, uh you know, like your friends lists, uh, like all that stuff. All like, I can't help but feel a little cynical that they're doing this so cheap. Uh, and so their interface and the, what you could actually do with that, with that online capability is also going to be kind of cheap. Uh, and that's, that's just, uh, and again, cause it's Nintendo and they're not, they haven't historically been really great at that. So it's, it's going to be a very interesting launch uh, when they come out with it. And because it's Nintendo, it's probably going to be, Okay, now we're charging, and here's your three games. Off we go, and it's otherwise not going to be all that different. Is yeah, and we're going to be like, hey, hey, how do we do voice chat exactly? Oh no, oh, you no, have to. Your iPhone. Use oh, your that's, phone. that's the big question for me. What's it, are we still using our phone? Because yeah. uh, yeah. that's kind of crazy uh, if that's the case. Um, so yeah, there's there's definitely questions they need to answer. That's that uh, that discount to three ninety nine a month that you're getting. You get what you pay for, I guess. Is what the, <laughs> Uh, Christian, what is your story of the week? I'm going to package two others together that came out of the same Nintendo investors call. One, we don't have a lot to talk about, so it's just kind of the headline, but I'm curious to get your and Sean's take on it. But Mario Kart Tour is coming, uh, mobile game, uh, phone game, I should say, because I guess all of their games are mobile, <laughs> mobile games now, portable games. Um, it's going to be for phones and it's releasing in the fiscal year ending in March 2019. Um, they've had some big hits with mobile games they've also had some not big of hits um what what's their the meverse one that's closing now their first one whatever it was called mitomo mitomo is closing as an example of one that maybe wasn't so great mario run certainly didn't set the world on fire as a pay once get the whole game approach but games like fire emblem and animal crossing which i think they said 70 percent of that audience is female seem to be making a pretty penny for Nintendo. So my gut is, and I'm curious to get your take, my gut is Mario Kart Mobile is free to play with a whole bunch of microtransactions in it. Someone please tell me yep. I'm wrong. No, you're totally no, right. Yep, you're right. You're right. And also, I bet it's tons of gyroscope control. That's what I'm guessing. Yeah. Is there a good racing game? Have you liked any racing games on your phone sean has that have any of them hooked you as being like competent? no of course not i there's been some that have been okay but like a lot of mobile games it's kind of like oh it's it's kind of like that thing you play on your home console or your computer but it's on your phone and it's kind of garbage like that's usually been my experience especially with racing games and the idea of using like uh like i don't know you give your kid like your old iphone 6 right it's still a hundreds of dollars piece of equipment and it's your kids are rough enough with them without trying to tilt the thing to steer uh, and look at the screen at the same time. Like it's going to be a lot of falling over kids if that's their primary way of, of controlling everything. <laughs> I, I don't, I, 
I, I'm not particularly excited about this, but I, I also played Super Mario Run and, and I didn't find it. I, I thought it was really neat to have Mario, Mario on the phone and have all those classic Nintendo sounds and graphics actually on my iPhone was a really neat novel experience, but I played it for a day or two and then I just kind of shrugged and moved on and, and, Given that we've got really great Mario Kart on the Switch, uh, the only reason mo- like doing it on the phone makes sense is if you're unlocking new vehicles, uh, new characters, const- like you have that whole unlocking thing and you've got that free to play hook. Like that's the only reason to do this. I'm curious if it's going to be played vertically the way the shift they did to Mario and your cart is kind of on auto drive and all you do is tap to do to veer around people or to aim, you know, swipe to aim to throw items. I th- I think there's a chance Nintendo might tweak the formula a little more than just putting Mario Kart on your phone and having you tilt. I could be wrong, but I think there's an opportunity there to use the device, use the device's strengths and not just pigeonhole, you know, Mario Kart 64 onto a phone or something like well, they, that. They could certainly use the assist mode like they do in the in the Switch version, right? Like that just keeps keeps you from driving off the track and is really great for younger kids who want to play and stay in the race. I could yeah. see them working that in in some way for sure. And then the last thing to pull a Jeff and do two stories out of one, uh, but the Mario movie is confirmed being made by Illumination, which makes sense because they are a universal company and that is where the Nintendo theme park is going to be based out of those attractions. And I think before you start rolling your eyes at this announcement, I looked it up. Uh, the number two and number four highest grossing animated films of all time are both Illumination films. Yes, there's a lot of Disney on the top 10, but number two is Minions. Number four is Despicable Me 3. So now you have that team making a Mario movie. This It's going to be huge, right? This is this is going to be huge. Yeah, I don't I don't know why you would uh, assume that my eyes would be rolling. I, I think this is a, a really cool thing. Clearly a very AAA talent. Um, evidently Miyamoto is a producer on it. I don't know if that it means he's just getting a paycheck or if he's <laughs> actually going to be involved, but one would hope that he's going to have some sort of oversight on the IP and we don't have another Bob Hoskins situation. But my question is, does Mario have full dialogue in this? I movie? was going to say, like, is Miyamoto, like his ex- produced production notes are just going to be like, he only says woohoo and what? Like, hey. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, that's it. Like, that's all he says. We're getting a movie with the fully voiced Pikachu, right? So, like, come on. There's going to be Mario having a voice can totally exist when we're going from a, a world where Pika was all that was said to now there's, solving hard crimes. <laughs> there's no need necessarily. I mean, you can do a movie where everyone just talks at him. I don't think that that would be undoable or feel weird even as a film. You could you could just have Mario exist in a world and go from place to place and everybody talks at him like in the video I've, games. I felt like we're on the cusp of a resurgent of mime work for years now. Like <laughs> I, I think this could be the big break mime has been looking for. But you joke, oh, but that's what, the minions don't talk. They already do. Yeah, a lot right, of mime exactly. Just, yeah, and Mario already has the white gloves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't think about that. That's true. Like, <laughs> is he going to talk in that really high voice? Because he, he only exclaims, right? Like, is he going to yeah. have a deeper register? If he- It's me, Mario. How you doing, everybody? I'm Mario. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm excited for this. I think it can be good. I, I, um, I think it's cool. And I, yeah. I, I mean, I, playing uh, Mario Odyssey on the Switch, like I loved graphically, I loved the rendition of Mario. I thought it was just 
it was nice to see Mario that wasn't like all kind of aliased, you know, like it's it sort of, it was yeah. very smooth and nice and I can definitely see it working really well in a movie. And, and I, I kind of like the idea of delving into Mario lore. Like I really do. Like I, I do, they start him as a plumber because I know in the games uh-huh. now they're like, nah, he's not a plumber anymore. Like so there's, there's just, I, I do have a lot of questions. Oh, you want full origin story? Yeah, let's do brother. it. Wow. I mean, I think that would be a huge mistake. <laughs> of course. <laughs> that would be terrible, a spectacular but I, one. That's what I want. Yeah. I want the minions to show up. You know, <laughs> I want everything. Huge crossover. He's a creation of the Despicable Me guy. <laughs> it's just like crass commercialism all over. Uh, <laughs> hilarious. Uh, well, my story of the week, uh, I think the story of the week is the Red Dead Redemption 2 uh, release date being October 26th, but we just told you everything you need to know about that. <laughs> so I'm not going to make us talk about that because it's October 26th and we're all going to play it. And okay, now we wait till October 26th. Big whoop. Uh, so what I'd like to talk about, because I think is the most interesting thing that happened this week, and I want to get your guys' take, <clears throat> is this weird thing that happened where a new story came out on Polygon that had sort of an offhanded comment that someone a quote reliable source close to microsoft said that microsoft outside microsoft building like yeah yeah he's super close to microsoft and that he lives right down the street um said that microsoft has been talking about acquiring ea which got a ton of news stories on all other websites and mainstream media and then actually affected the stock price. EA stock gained more than 2% and uh, Microsoft stock went down because of this weird offhanded comment that was part of an article on Polygon that was all about the fact that Microsoft needs more exclusives, needs more first-party exclusive titles. And they had mentioned sort of in passing that Microsoft was looking at EA and Valve and uh, PUBG as companies to acquire in order to build out their first-party library. There's been a lot of discussion, including a Forbes article about why the idea of Microsoft acquiring EA is ridiculous and wouldn't even uh, accomplish what Microsoft would want out of that in the sense that EA going from a multi-platform publisher to a single platform publisher would basically cut their profits by 60% and nobody that acquires something wants to acquire it and then cut its profits by 60%. That just makes no sense. So there's a lot of reasons that this doesn't make any sense, but I'd like to present it uh, for discussion. Uh, Sean, do you think that – A, Microsoft acquiring somebody is a good idea for Microsoft. And B, should they set their sights on a big publisher that we know? Or would it be, in your opinion, smarter to acquire developer by developer in the way that they sort of have done in the past? Uh, I think developer. uh, Because when you acquire, like you got to remember, like a lot of publishers, even though they may publish a lot of games, they don't necessarily make all of their games. Like Bethesda would be a great example, right? Like Bethesda, ZeniMax who owns Bethesda, like Bethesda makes their own games, but they also publish under the Bethesda umbrella a lot of other stuff. Right. Like the Dishonored series and everything. So buying Bethesda doesn't really net you a lot of development. Like you see how long it takes them to do a new Elder Scrolls game or something. Um, So it makes more sense for them to acquire a developer rather than a publisher. Now, EA is a very big developer. They make a lot of games. uh, But as basically everybody like 
every you follow the industry long enough, every number of years, EA gets rumored to be bought by somebody, right? Because it's just like they they are a a pretty big fish uh, at this point. Um, uh, but they also seem squirrely enough that maybe a company could sneak in there on, during a stock dip and just get a majority share or something. Um, yeah. We've seen kind of similar stuff with Ubisoft and uh, I think it was uh, Vivendi trying to do like hostile takeovers of Ubisoft by stock right. shares and everything. So it's kind of, it's a little bit wild out there. So in terms of just like laying out cash like they did with Minecraft, it just makes more sense for Microsoft to buy a developer. I think that the a studio who uh, made PUBG would be a natural, right? They, they've made a game that's really popular on the PC. They've got an Xbox port for it. Uh, so they're, and they're nascent, like they're early in, in their, in their company's culture. And in, in, in the sense that like, they're, they're not like this 10 year established thing. So they're not necessarily going to demand like the same price that say rare probably did when they bought them back in the day. Um, so I, I would look some toward that if Microsoft is going to make a move because the Polygon article really shouldn't have made waves because it was the most obvious thing ever. Like, duh, yeah, Microsoft's exclusives are bad right now. Like they're they're so bad they're giving them away. Like like that's that's kind of <laughs> one way I could frame that. So they do need to do something and building a studio from scratch, uh, like they did say with three four three Industries, is really difficult. Um, and it's, it, it takes time. It takes a lot of time. It makes a lot more sense to buy something that is already established, already successful, and already kind of has its finger on the pulse. So I would be more inclined to look at, at, uh, something like PUBG, uh, and rumors about buying Valve are just, just way out there. Like Valve has so much money and so no, no need to sell out at all. And in fact, it, it'd be completely against their ethos to sell to anybody. Uh, so I, I don't see Valve selling to anybody so long as Gabe Newell. Stone's blood still pounds through his veins. It's actually uh, just, you would money. Think. It's just money that goes through Gabe's veins at this point. <laughs> Pretty no. much. And that's what I mean. He's got so much already. So he's fine. Yeah. No, I, I, I think yeah. would be a great, great kind of acquisition angle. Well, the problem with the PUBG acquisition would be it doesn't accomplish what Microsoft really needs, which is volume. It, do, it doesn't give it. Get, I mean, they already have PUBG as an exclusive on their platform, so it doesn't get them that. It gets them that long term, perhaps like whatever the next thing is from that studio. But it doesn't actually bolster their library in the short term, and it doesn't bolster their library by much. Um, so I think the idea being, you know, a, a larger publisher like EA brings a bigger library with them, which is kind of what Microsoft needs right now. I agree that none of these seems particularly likely likely from Microsoft's perspective, the one that makes the most sense is valve uh, because they've been trying to crack the PC gaming market for decades. And steam is just sitting there having it cracked. It's that's the, that's it. <laughs> that's the crack. It's right there. But um, I agree with you that valve selling uh, is a stretch. Uh, although, you know, stranger things have happened. I just find all of this to be, it's very speculative, obviously, but it it hits at a it hits hit hits at the problem that I think Microsoft understands finally, which is the reason Sony is beating us this this generation is because they have more differentiators. They have these games that you can't play anywhere else, and these games are very very good, and that is really the beginning and end of the conversation. They can say they've got the most powerful console on the market all they want, but if there's nothing that you can play on it that you can't play someplace else and that someplace else has lots of stuff that you can't play on it, it kind of is a moot point. 
So I hope they make some bold uh, moves here. I don't know about acquiring EA, but I hope that you find that Microsoft uh, is understands this and needs to get the talent to create more exclusives. I think that is a good thing for the industry, the, the competition, and I think it's something I'd like to see. I think maybe there's I don't I don't have any insight on this. I'm not a source, a reliable source or close to Microsoft. So uh but I think there might be a, um a split perhaps at Microsoft or at least in what people are speculating to. And it goes back to what we talked about I think it was last week's show about their Xbox Game Pass and then now them trying to buy studios. If if Xbox and Microsoft's long-term plan is not to have a dedicated box that you need to play but rather be a service that and you can download that service onto anything um and add those games and run it through it you know like a netflix or whatever um i almost don't think they care in terms of having several games uh, a studio that's cranking out tons of games for their exclusivity versus the really popular ones mr latap in the chat you know mentioned did minecraft work out for microsoft um and i think Part of what you can take from that is, you know, Microsoft bought Minecraft and it's still available on my phone, on PlayStation, on my Switch, on my 3DS. So maybe Microsoft does buy EA, but they're not looking to cut the revenue by 60%. They continue to make all of the multi-platform games that they're making, but Microsoft now is just making it that cut. And then when Microsoft is ready to launch the Xbox service, all of those games are exclusive on that. And guess what? You sh- you can subscribe to the Xbox service from your Sony PlayStation 5 or your Bravia TV or whatever it is. And what they're doing is amassing this IP and developer stronghold so that when they're ready to shift to take on Valve or become the next step in their evolution as gaming as services, they're well prepared. And Sony sitting here with a couple of in-house studios without the infrastructure to transition that way and maybe five years from now, we're talking about what Sony needs to do to get it right. And then the last part of that, I think there's a disconnect too, perhaps, between what we as gamers see as Microsoft's problem or Xbox problem and Xbox being like, Minecraft made us $20 billion last year. We don't have a problem. Like, we're doing fine. And I think an example of that would be buying uh, PUBG Corp, which is maybe harder to do because they're owned by Bluehole, which is seems to be doing very well and whether or not they'd be willing to sell part of their company. But, you know, PUBG made almost a billion dollars last year. So, yeah, it wouldn't solve the air quote problem of them having as many exclusives as Sony does. But I'm curious whether or not Uncharted 4, God of War, Spider-Man, Detroit 2 Human, if any of all of those combined are billion dollar franchises in the same way. I don't know. But I think those are all interesting questions that we as fans sometimes leave out of the conversation. Well, you bring up interesting points. I'm not sure that – I mean y- your supposition is that Microsoft doesn't care about its hardware business as long as it's making money. And I, I don't think I'm willing to concede that. Well, that point though would be Microsoft doesn't care about its hardware business because they're looking to get out of the hardware business and become a service business that you can run that service on any hardware. Right. I think that's a, that's a, that's a big uh, – that's a big, bold idea that certainly could be something if you think that Xbox Game Pass leads you down that road. And maybe that's maybe that's where it, it ends up. I don't think that that's anything that will happen in the short term. I think that's a, you know, 10-year strategy perhaps. Sure. Uh, but um, I think in the short term, if you're talking about moving consoles and not, uh, you know, not being – becoming irrelevant in the space – 
I think, I think you acquire someone now because you don't want to put the time in to build brand and capability. And I think, you know, that's, that to me points to a short-term solution to a problem, but you know, all of this is speculation. (laughs) Right. right. Yeah. The hard part too, about acquiring though, and I think Sean kind of hit on this a little bit is you either do it's a public company and you do a public takeover, which isn't easy as Vivendi and Ubisoft have demonstrated, or it's a private company. And that just is about the person willing to sell. So does Gabe want to sell? He's like, nah, I'm good. They're like, here's $1,100 billion. He's like, no, I'm okay. Or, you know, Insomniac. And they're like, no, we value our independence or, you know, whatever. So you got to, it's not easy to just walk over to somebody and buy a company because I feel like oftentimes if you're private, there's maybe a reason for that unless you're hurting for cash. But then is that the studio you want to buy? It's interesting. I'm curious. Do you think, Sean, that this year Microsoft will make any moves in this regard? Do you think by the end of 2018 they'll have acquired what I would, what we would consider, air quote, a major studio or a publisher? No, I think they're going to probably lock down more exclusives just by just timed exclusives, like they did with the last Tomb Raider game. Um, yeah, I think we're going to see stuff like that. Um, it's beyond that. I just. Boy, they've canceled a lot of stuff that was going to be exclusive. <laughs> like they've really, yeah. they've had a lot of stuff in development. Um, I can't even remember all the names off the top of my head. Although I know, like even Obsidian at one point was talking about they were working on a game called Stormlands, and uh, Obsidian was kind of saying like, "Oh yeah, kind of imagine The Witcher only maybe with a friend." And and they talk about how Microsoft came to them and said like, "Oh yeah, no, we're willing to put a lot of money and talent behind you to get this thing done." But they were they had this really serious ambition to create a, quote, million man raid and other high concept features. And Obsidian says they pulled out because they're like that. We're not that company like we can't do that stuff. Hmm. Um, I read this article. Uh, I think it was actually on Polygon about uh, the development of Lair. Remember Lair? Oh, yeah. Like that. Yeah. Was, was that PS3 or PS4? I feel like that was PS3. Three. Um, PS3, yeah. Yeah, like a little ways after launch. And Lair, uh, part of that story is basically PlayStation coming in saying, hey, we have motion controls on our controller now. We really, 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 really need you to do motion controls. And the Lair devs were like, we're trying to make Rogue Squadron with dragons. This isn't going to work. And they're just like, but you have to. And Lair just ended up just get, getting tanked by the publisher having some new feature they needed to sell to their customer base. Uh, and Microsoft, when you remember the Xbox One launch, they were talking about cloud-based computing, right? Crackdown 3 is going to have this a massive, like, half of the game is going to be rendered off-site from your console right. and, like, all this amazing stuff. And they've really gotten very quiet. But if they were talking about it on the stage at E3, I guarantee they were talking about it to every single developer who was working on the sure. for Microsoft. Uh, and now we're seeing all these cancellations. And Microsoft, frankly, on a technology side, other than having a really powerful console, doesn't really have anything to hang their hat on at this point. So I'm kind of actually hoping they get back to basics like Xbox 360 basics. Let's just like get good exclusives with good development teams, let them do their thing, and let's just get a good consistent release schedule out of this out of this whole setup because uh, it just I'm I'm just noticing that the the trail of exclusives that have been canceled in the last couple of years uh, combined now with like the Kinect going away, the whole cloud computing thing being way less of a thing. I'm just I'm just hoping that Microsoft is just getting refocused. Because that's where they had their most success when they just really focused on the stuff that's like really core deliverable gamer stuff. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Um, I, I I think that would be what I would like as well. I mean, it, it, 
it's interesting because Microsoft is is in a weird position. That you know, the Xbox One X is pretty successful. I think there was an uptick in like fifteen percent in Xbox sales after it launched. It's not doing badly. Um, and you know, as Christian pointed out. There's this Xbox Game Pass thing we were just talking about last week, and the whole thing they've been trumpeting from the from the mountaintops is, hey, every Xbox exclusive is going to be day and date on this thing. So it's this cool value proposition. It's like, okay, well, then by your very own admission, what you need are Xbox One exclusives. Uh, if that's the if that's the selling point of Xbox Game Pass yeah. is, hey, get your exclusives here for nine ninety nine a month. Yeah, I really, well, I better have lots. Of I exclusives. really wonder about that because if if I'm a game developer and I'm an independent, let's say like, um, oh geez, who did the Dishonored series? Arcane Studios. Arcane. Yeah. yeah, I'm Arcane Studios, and Microsoft comes to me and says, hey, we want you guys exclusive for your next game on the Xbox One X or whatever. Uh, and they say, okay, cool. And they're like, yeah, so you're going to be part of our exclusive thing and it's 10 bucks a month and, and people can play your game for free. Like Microsoft's going to have to front load a lot of money. They're going to have to give me, the developer, a lot of money for that. Like it was already a tough proposition when a, when a console maker would come to you and say, we only want you to release on ours because you're cutting your potential customer base by a lot, especially if you go with Microsoft at this point. And now they've got the added layer of all of our exclusives are going to be day and date, um, you know, free with your subscription service. Like that, that's a huge disincentive for an independent developer to make a game for your system. If Microsoft, but I think that's exactly that. what they're, I think that's exactly what they're doing. I mean, I think that they are literally coming up with those sacks with dollar signs on them and saying, this is what we offer you to be exclusive on our system. And Microsoft is sitting on 130 billion of liquid cash to, to spend on hand. So they're not, I mean, part of the speculation of them acquiring EA was, Hey, Microsoft's got, Microsoft has 130 billion to spend and EA's market cap is 30 billion. So it's trivial for them to purchase them. So, you know, I think they have the ability to do that. And clearly they, are able to and and have done. Uh, I mean, I think that's why, for example, yeah. Tomb Raider was exclusive is because they said, here's money. Well, timed exclusive, and, which is a different kind of right. proposition too. And it still came out on PC, uh, which I, I will say this, like all the speculation of running a company aside as a player, I adore the fact that um, if something comes out on the Xbox One, like for the Xbox One, it's going to be playable on the PC. Like that stuff is really important to me. I really love seeing that. But from a developer perspective, like if I'm going to sell a game and I've got, say, 5 million potential customers on the PlayStation and I'm going to earn $20 per of my $60 game back, like when I sell it, like 5 million copies of that's like $100 million. Like when we're talking sacks of money, like it's it scales, right? Like there there's, gets to be a point where paying a developer 100 million bucks just for the privilege of having their game only on your console gets a little silly. I think they're better off buying the developer and getting a lot of games out of them than trying to incentivize that and getting them onto this $10 a month thing. Well, it certainly is fun playing a little armchair quarterback here on Super Bowl Sunday. Well, reminds um, me, I got to go. Sorry. <laughs> I got to run out of the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we'll see how this develops over the year, but I, and it's, I think it's great. You know, I, I, I love that kind of stuff. That speculation. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. And it's, it's only weird when these wildly speculative articles result in actual stock market movement. Cause that that's when it gets a little odd, but, uh, still, I thought it was a cool story this week and, and something that I've enjoyed discussing with you guys. Let's move on now though, because we have a lot of games to actually talk about that we have been playing, but first 
I want to tell you about Squarespace. Uh, you've heard me talk about Squarespace. That's because I've been using Squarespace personally for a decade or more. I really, really love Squarespace. I always recommend it to my family and friends if they ever need to make a website. And almost everybody does. At this point, there's going to be a reason. If you don't have one now, there will be a reason shortly for you to have a website. And in either you have an idea that you want to turn into a cool website or you need to showcase your work or you have a blog or you need to publish content or even selling products or services of some kind, there are, is going to be some reason that you'll need a website. But you don't need to study and figure out HTML and learn how to program a website and stress or pay someone a lot of money to make you a website. You can do it yourself and you can make it beautiful with squarespace.com. They have really beautiful templates that you start with that were made by world-class designers. And they have all this functionality that's built right in that you don't even have to worry about. They can drag and drop e-commerce uh, storefront stuff so you can charge people for goods and services super easily. You can customize the look and feel and all the settings that you want just by moving stuff around, drag and drop. It's all WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. And everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. So you don't even have to worry about that. Whatever device somebody is looking at your site on, it's going to be optimized. It's going to be great. They have a new way to buy domains and you can choose from over 200 extensions for your domains. They have analytics, built-in SEO, free and secure hosting, 24-7 award-winning support, and no patches ever. You don't have to worry about patching anything. It's all done behind the scenes for you. So make your website yourself and let us help. Let us give you 10% off if you go to squarespace.com and use the promo code Jeff sent me. That's J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E, all one word. You'll get 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Check it out. You can build your site at squarespace.com before you give them a dime and make sure you like their service before you even have to put in a credit card. They won't auto, pay, auto charge you at any point. You just decide when you want to buy it. And when you do, be sure to use Jeff sent me as your promo code so you'll get 10% off. Let's talk about the games we've been playing. Uh, some good ones out right now. Uh, Sean, what is on your playlist? Oh, God, so much. I, I went through my January was just sort of quiet. I think I was gamed out from the holiday releases and mm -hmm. all the game of the year discussions and everything else. So I kind of took a break and it's it's coming on strong now. Um, I know you talked about Monster Hunter World last week uh, when you're about six hours in um, and I was basically at about the same same place i'm curious jeff how if you've played more since then oh yes i i am <laughs> i keep pestering christian about it every day uh we've been working together and i, I every day i come in and tell him about i downed an anginaf today and christian's like i don't want to hear about it I'm oh like, that oh, guy's a bastard that's oh not so fun real oh. quick real quick stop i i never say i don't want to hear about it in fact i was the one that said that sounds cool why don't you tell everybody about it so don't <laughs> typically yes typically yes that i don't want to hear classic, about your day classic podcaster way to shut somebody up save it for the show please <laughs> exactly. hey sean will you shut up and save that for our podcast tip <laughs> show that we're doing later i definitely want to hear all about that just not now or ever hey yeah. you don't save get it to for somebody who cares that, that's you. basically what you're saying. Um, you. I, so I played quite a bit too. I've, I've actually a shocking amount. I, I'm also a Monster Hunter newbie. I've thrown myself the Wii U version, uh, but uh, Monster Hunter World does genuinely onboard you into the game a lot better uh, than the Wii U version did. Um, 
so it's the first one I've really gotten over the hump. And I think that my years of Dark Souls and Bloodborne and Demon Souls has actually helped as well develop my my patience for for stuff. And I actually find Monster Hunter World, frankly, to be kind of easy so far. Um, not so much that like I'm not dying a lot uh, at this point. Once you get some decent armor and you get better with your weapon, it does start to click. And I love the fact that while you can upgrade your weapon, like your weapon can get better, you can build new weapons. Like so, I'm using the I'm a switch axe man. And that's an important thing. Like you become a certain weapon person after a while because it's like it's like a different character in a fighting game. Like you're playing the same game, but the weapon is really important. So I've I've got a switch axe and I'm I'm using different iterations of it. So it does get more powerful, but more importantly, the move set doesn't change. But you get way better at timing the move set. Um and so I had this great experience today actually where I was, uh, it was about an hour from recording this, and I was like, okay, I got an hour. I'm going to pop into Monster Hunter and do a couple quick things. Uh, and I decided I was going to upgrade my weapon, but I was missing a Baroth tail. And uh, the Baroth is like this big kind of rhinoceros dinosaur dragon thing. Like he's just made a rock. He rolls around in the mud, and he's got this hardened mud shell, and it's this whole thing. And the first time I came, I ran into him, he just terrified me because he was so hard to hit. You just bounce off his hide constantly because I didn't know where to hit him properly. Um, and he hit you so hard. Like it was really tough, but eventually I managed to figure him out and beat him with some friends in that case. And so now it's just like, I want to grab my weapon. I need a bear off tail to do it. I'm just going to go hunt one real quick. And I walk in and it's just like, ah, bear off my old friend. It's so nice to see you again. Welcome. And, and I'm, I walk in there with confidence I know exactly how to beat the guy. I know how, like, I feel like Crocodile Dundee, like I know everything about Baroth and how he behaves. And I took him down on my own really easily. And I got his tail off, no problem. And I just kind of stepped out like this. These are the moments that make games like this, like Dark Souls, like Monster Hunter, just this is where they click for me. When player skill is the main, it's the primary growth factor in the game. It's not the numbers going up. It's not just your equipment gets better, but your actual skill with the tools that you have starts to improve and your skill at just playing the game and navigating it gets better. So like that's been a huge factor for me. Real quick aside, I don't want to spend time on it because I want you guys to talk more about Monster Hunter, Jeff. Um, have you played Celeste or Ori or Meat Boy? No, 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 no. Here's why. Here's why. It relates. It relates. It I wrote. totally want you guys to play more, talk I, more about Monster Hunter. Have I, you played the game I've been playing this nope, week? Nope, nope, Here's why. This is all I'm going to mention about it. This is all. Because those games, too, so and they've been around for a long time doing it, also do that. But now you hear people talking about games like Bloodborne, Dark Souls, or now you guys talking about Monster Hunter rewarding that kind of thing. And that has been the type of Mega Man has been doing that for years, right? Where it rewards player skill and learning the level and technique. That's those pattern games- recognition. That's precision pattern recognition. And I, I don't, I mean, I guess there's still pattern recognition in Monster Hunter, but oh, I huge. think it's, yeah. I think it's a little bit different. I think, I feel like there's much more improvisation happening on Monster Hunter than in a game like Celeste. Celeste or N plus or, uh, Super Meat Boy or Mega Man is here's a static system. Figure it out and and in, improve your dexterity so that you can actually do the thing that was always the way to do it from the beginning. And I feel like, especially with this Monster Hunter, it is 
constantly a, a series of improvisations that you understand better and you get you improve as far as the knowledge base like Sean was talking about of you know knowing how to attack the monster and where to attack the monster and what weapons to use to attack the monster and what its strength and weaknesses are but it's also like oh my gosh i'm fighting this crazy monster and another one just joined the fight how do i going to deal with that now they're fighting amongst themselves am i going to you know there's a crazy weird uh, environmental trap that this monster just wandered around to can i lure it into that like that to me is is what makes this fun and different than those i find those types of games you're talking about much more about me beating my head against the same wall until finally i break through and this feels more like uh, a wonderful unpredictable whirlwind that i'm swirling around that every time i'm learning something different and the accumulation of all of that knowledge and experience leads me to be able to ride the next hurricane <laughs> tornado uh, in a different way or better. So that's exactly what I wanted to talk about and <laughs> comparing and contrasting these two. My question to you, Sean, is to what extent do you ag agree with Jeff or maybe he said it exactly perfectly and it's this balance of improv and skill that you've learned or and again as someone who hasn't played this game but i've played a decent amount of souls and, and bloodborne over the years is it more akin to um what's what i'm looking for where it's it's on you the player and sometimes the environment might help you or you can find a way to maybe nerf it but it's you using the skills that your hands that you've learned or how much is it in monster hunter in your experience that something can be totally different depending on where you guys each encounter the same monster. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it makes sense. I think that if I was looking at like a game, like we're looking at actually really good, like this is a really great compare contrast to uh, make, but although I will say mighty sandwich in the chat, DLC equals dude, listen, Celeste. That's pretty good. <laughs> I, I did like that a lot. Um, but when I look at us, I look at it as kind of like a sliding scale. And on, on one side, we've got uh, dexterity, right? Like I think Meat Boy really demands like really precise timing, uh, really precise pattern recognition. And it it really demands a cool hand in a, in a way, but it, it needs you to keep your head just for like 20 seconds to get through that level. Uh, whereas Monster Hunter demands patience. And, and that is a very different kind of thing on that scale. And then games fall between that on some level. Like Monster Hunter kind of says, you need to wait for your moment, and then you got to go real hard. Uh, whereas Meat Boy is like, you got to go hard, but only for a moment. Like there, it's just like, it's, a, it's just a little bit of a different twist, but it's the same, it's the same thrust, which is that you need to be bloody minded on some level. Like you need to be a dog with a bone and you got to really like, you got to really want it. It's not just going to hand it to you, right? Like I'm, I, I play a lot of games, like um, especially Ubisoft open world games. They just sort of hand it to you, like they're just kind of like like Shadow of, or even uh, Shadow of uh, Shadow of Mordor is a great example. They just kind of hand it all to you, like oh, you're doing so good. Here's some more treats. Like you're doing great. <laughs> time in your button presses. Here's more treats. Like and whereas Monster Hunter uh, games like Meat Boy and I'm assuming Celeste from what I've heard about it um, are just kind of more like the treat is you're accomplishing something. Although in Monster Hunter, once I've murdered the beautiful creature that was just minding <laughs> its own business and I go back to its home to finish it off, I use every part of the buffalo. Like I, I do carve things out of it and then I get to make armor out of that stuff. So it does still have some treats on the back end too, which I really enjoy. Um, but for me personally, 
I find something like Monster Hunter or Dark Souls, something that demands a bit more patience uh, and timing a lot more satisfying than Meat Boy um, and games like it. Are you guys playing, uh, I don't even know if it's in the game, but like any of those little trinkets, like is Mega Man in the game or... Um, I don't think that's in yet. Horizon Zero coming. Dawn? Uh, well, if you're playing on the PlayStation 4, which is the way it's meant to be played, um, <laughs> you because uh, that's where everybody else is playing it, apparently. Um, you uh, the There is Horizon Zero Dawn um, tie-in stuff. So the, the one that I actually just got yesterday, because I finally got far enough in the single player, like in the big missions to be Hunter Level 5, uh, you can get a Horizon Zero Dawn uh, Watcher outfit for your cat. So your cat, when you outfit him with it's a helmet and, and the body armor, he actually looks like a little cat watcher from Horizon Zero Dawn, like with the big blue eye in the front. And like, it's, it's, it's actually... A, really cool looking, and B, incredibly adorable. Uh, and then he, he also gets a little Horizon Zero Dawn weapon. It's really good. It's really good. <laughs> well, I am uh, very pleased. I am Fortune's Fool because I uh, I have my my shiny new Xbox One X, and I and I wanted to have games to play on it. So I, I got Monster Hunter for for my Xbox. And so basically I'm playing Monster Hunter as a solo game. <laughs> Yeah, um, <laughs> which actually works actually surprisingly well. I really thought there it was going to get to a point where they, it was going to demand multiplayer. And I actually want to touch on that briefly um, because I've done a fair bit of multiplayer as well. Uh, but like um, some of those monsters actually feel a little bit tougher when you're in a group because they do scale yeah. uh, somewhat. And so some monsters that me and two friends were having trouble with because you share faints, like you only get so many revive, revives, right? So if you're in a group of three, and each of you only drops once, you're still out of like lives, basically. You failed. Uh, whereas when you're single player, you get three just on your own. So, and the monster has a bit less health. So you can, it's just, you can sort of see what you're doing a little bit better because maybe your team cohesion isn't very strong yet when you do multiplayer. But um, I will say that when it comes to the multiplayer, it is, it, it is kind of weird. Like they've got this, the, Basically, what they want you to do, and it you gotta they don't explain it very well, but you're basically if you start a new quote online session and you can fit up to 16 players in that session, they're saying like you can create an instance. So your world is joinable, kind of like when you go to play Diablo, you can choose single player, or if you play multiplayer, then your friends can drop in and out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so Monster Hunter is kind of the same way. They're like, you can make an instance and up to 16 people can join. But if you want to do story missions that have cutscenes, your friends who are in your instance with you, which means they can join your missions, they can't join that mission until you've watched the cutscenes. So right? wait. Yeah. So it's not even that they make you watch the cutscenes, it's that you can't even join. So if I start a new sing- like a new like main mission that has like cutscenes and little story beats, I need to go through all those cutscene and story beat parts on my own and then shoot an SOS flare. And then my friends can join into the mission after all that stuff is done. It'll actually tell you in the menu. It's not like this is an over, like, um, like they just missed it. Huh. It'll actually tell you that person has to watch the cutscenes before you can join their game. <laughs> it seems very Capcom to me. You it's know, it's very like Capcom. Capcom just so- hasn't figured it out yet. And I don't know why, but across all of their games, it's just weird. And it's like, we've been doing this for over a decade, guys. Like there's lots of examples here. Like this isn't hard. And yeah. uh, we made a gamers with jobs guild called hunters with jobs. Um, nice. And and so that just means that when you go into the game, you can just see if any members of your bigger, like guild squad are playing. And if there are any of them are joinable. Um, but 
in order to join the squad, only the, only the guild leader can invite you in. And the only way they can invite you in is if you're in an online session with them. So live. This, this sucks, right? Like for a game yeah, called Monster like, Hunter World, it, this sucks. This yeah, sucks. Like it's dumb. Yeah. It's fixable. And I hope they do uh, deal with it because it's, it is, it's just like uh, I had David Heron. He's a game developer on my show on Gamers Jobs on the podcast last week. And he kind of talked about like Japanese developers when they're developing online features and stuff. A lot of like that Japanese culture is in the mobile market. And, and, and that it's just a different way of interacting with interface, with multiplayer and things like that. But we're in such a global market now. It's just that excuse just doesn't totally work for me anymore like there's just so many examples of really good multiplayer systems it just seems weird that monster hunter just feels so archaic and weird and well Christian, do you think, be... oh go ahead Jeff. you think Sorry. that sucks i got news for you over on uh on the old xbox one um here's what happens when i want to join a multiplayer session uh i push uh search for multiplayer uh, matchmaking and then it goes error code four seven eight two three uh Oh, that's no the good one, right? That's the no good one. No Classic worky. Monster Hunter. Like, you probably just didn't get enough, like, dragon scales. Yeah, or I just something. need to uh, is, level up more. It's literally that, not working on – I had – there was, like, one day where they patched it and it worked, and I had a cool little session where I jumped in with some other guy who also wasn't on comms, and we just sort of silently helped each other, and that was really fun. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it straight up just isn't even working on Xbox, which is That's very a game-level thing, not like an Xbox system problem. Like, it's just that – it's just Monster Hunter? It's just Monster Hunter, and you can still – there's workarounds if you have specific people on your friends list that you want to play with. You can still, like, personally invite people, but the sort of – the fun of just jumping in with strangers or having the shared world where there's just folks hanging out that need to do the same things like an MMO would, would have. Like how the uh, game was advertised. <laughs> like, yeah, like the that was yeah. <laughs> Well, that, that's like – like in a lot of ways, Monster Hunter World is the MMO that we imagined when MMOs started to be a thing. Like when, when they were first talking about EverQuest, you have this vision of like running around and talking to shopkeepers and fighting monsters together. And, and it is that, but the combat in those games, it's just very like you're just hitting buttons on your skill bar. The spreadsheet is consulted and then the effect takes place on screen. Right. Monster Hunter World feels so much more dynamic and so much more engaged in its combat. The world feels very alive. Like Monster Hunter World is what I imagine an MMO would be when I was thinking about before I realized they were just muds with graphics, but like, like Monster Hunter World is, it's really just, it's on the cusp of being just something that's really special in that regard, but they've, they've just sort of instanced it out and made it just strange. Do you know what game has none of those problems? What's that? Do you know what game has none of those problems? I'm not going to let you say Celeste, because I want to hear about Children of Morta. (laughs) I want to talk about that too, but I want to hit one other last point before we move off of this, because uh, Sean brought it up earlier and I, and I I wanted to reinforce it Uh, when you were talking about um, difficulty. And I agree with you that it, it feels, I guess, easy is not, is not the word I would use, but I guess it does. But this is what I really, really like about this game. It, 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 every battle is a battle of attrition, right? It is, it is, are you going to outlast this monster? And are you going to continue to, are you going to outlast the monster? But there are these limits. There are these time limits. There are these number of death limits. It is not punitive in the sense that death really means anything because you can keep, you can pick right up where you left off as long as you don't die too many times. That all feels like a wonderful cushion for me that doesn't 
off put me when it doesn't frustrate me when I when I am not at the top of my game uh, on, on a particular monster fight or I'm not doing it at a point where I should yet. And the thing that I particularly like about it is that a lot of these games that are quote unquote hard or challenging or, or you know, um, what do they call them? Um, Masso core games. They're there to pummel you, you know, and it's like, are you strong enough to take it? And the thing I like about Monster Hunter World is that I'm having fun throughout this experience. And the reason that I'm I'm willing to complete the the War of Attrition, the reason that I'm willing to go through the marathon that is not a sprint, you know, it's 40 minutes of fight against one monster. And that would not be fun if one moment in that could spell complete failure. Like I wouldn't go into a 40 minute fight with a monster if one time doing something wrong meant I had to start over from the beginning. That just doesn't sound fun to me. And this game is maybe you could, you could say easy, but it's not easy. It's just asking a different thing of me. And that's kind of what you were saying. It's asking my patience. It's asking my persistence. And I like that. I find that to be a different kind of challenge and one that is, much more fun for me than just, oh, you did one thing wrong, game over, sorry, start again. I don't know. Yeah, it's rewarding, like just knowledge. It's rewarding like, uh, oh, you know what? I'm going to bring some traps with me or a barrel bomb or I'm going to bring something to really help this, help make this easier for me in some way, right? It's rewarding, just like Dragon's Dogma did it too. Like you got to kind of kit yourself out before you go out and do the thing. You can't just stop and up some new arrows like you do in Horizon Zero Dawn or something. Yeah, I'm I'm literally dressing completely different to go fight the Anjanath because I want all my, you know, all my fire defense gear on and I want my water arrows even though those arrows don't do as much damage as my other bow does. I'm I want my water bow because that's what works best against this yeah, that's all that is really fun. And it's going to get just even more like they they do a good job of ramping up the complication factor. Like when you get to that late game stuff, it's going to get just more and more complicated and it's going to demand more and more of knowledge from you as you go. So it's you it really does require you to grow with the game, uh, which is also just a really one of those things that's really keeping me engaged with it. It sounds like Capcom did it again in 2018, dropping a potential game of the year contender in January. Yeah. Like last year with Resident Evil and this year with Monster Hunter. And assuming the network stuff gets fixed and not worse, um, I can see this game being talked about again months, months, months down the line. Oh, yeah. When the PC release is a few months away. So, you know, they'll be, it'll, get a, it'll get a bump for sure. All right, Christian, you can talk about Celeste. No, I was just teasing you. I, I, it's, it's an incredible game, and I'm going to keep playing it. And I'll tell you, I'll report all my strawberries and deaths after I finish the game. I'm not there yet. Uh, I want to hear, I sincerely want to hear about Children of Morta because you've teased around it and talked about it some as we've hung out, but I don't think I've heard enough and our, our audience certainly hasn't heard enough about it. Uh, are you aware of this game, Sean, Children of Morta? Uh, I'm aware of it, but that's that's about as much as I could say about it. I think this is a very, very special game. Uh, it is not out. In fact, doesn't have a release date yet, but they say early 2018. So here we are sitting in early 2018. Today. <laughs> yeah, it could be any day now, I assume. Um, but uh, I got an early uh, build of it. In the upper right-hand corner, it says PAX build. So I don't know how 
recent a build this is, but it is a large portion of the game. And this is the kind of game that I really, really like. I have mentioned on the show many times my love of Rogue Legacy and games like it. Uh, Rogue likes uh, this last year. Dead Cells was sort of that game that that took that spot for me. Um, but I really like games where even in death, I'm accumulating stuff that leads to the next go round me able to last longer and do more cool stuff. So in these roguelike games where you're meant to die over and over and over, you're delving into these dungeons and you're improving your character, you're gathering things in this dungeon that you can then spend to improve future iterations of your character or your lineage in the case of Rogue Legacy. So Children of Morta is that as well. But, oh, and, you know, you're diving into these dungeons, you're fighting in a very, it's very sort of, has DNA from Diablo and from even um, like Smash TV style, you know, very kinetic, uh, running around from screen to screen, fighting large hordes of monsters. Hmm? Is it isometric? Because you've talked about two very different styles of games, right? Uh, is it rogue? Is it uh, side scrolling a la Rogue Legacy, or are we top down isometric Diablo? Yeah, it's Diablo uh, or Smash TV. It's it's top down isometric, but it's done in a pixel art style. I think I'm prepared to say it's the most beautiful pixel art game I've ever played. It huh. is stunning, stunning work, animation, art, coloring. It is constantly moving. It is an absolutely gorgeous game and you go into these dungeons they're all procedurally generated different every time peopled with countless monsters and monster types that are all coming at you in crazy ways and there's special ones that sometimes populate the world like diablo would have where it's the regular monster but it has a crazy property that makes it harder to kill and easier to kill you so nothing unique as far as gameplay i think all of that is done very well and very effectively and it's super uh addictive in in the same way those games are and you're you're constantly going down you're dying but you've got gold and items and things and you in the next time you spend that gold in ways that you know increase your pool of health or make your damage higher or make your crit chance higher you know par for the course for these types of games what makes children of morta so special aside from i think a beautiful presentation is it's about this family and they live in this fantasy world, but they're in this big house and they all live together. And you play various members of the family that all have different abilities and you can pick your character and level them all up individually. But after each time you die, you're treated to these little vignettes, these little cutscenes. They're very short oftentimes, but they are these beautiful little human moments of beauty and joy and wonder. For example, go down, die, come back, cut scene. We zoom in on the house and they're having a birthday party for one of the characters and they're dancing and having a good time. And this narrator comes on and explains that the it was so-and-so's birthday and they all just wanted to have a good moment. And it's one they'll always remember. And that's it. That's the whole thing. Or another one where the father and mother are just sitting in the library of the house and the father lays his head in her lap and she just strokes his hair. And that's the entire moment. Or like the grandmother goes outside and she's out in the gar- garden and she's picking some flowers and a deer emerges from the, from the forest and she gives the deer some milk. And that's the whole thing. It's just this, these beautiful little moments of humanity and 
sort of pure just wonder and joy that offset this like very dark dungeon aesthetic. Do you think they're related to what happened to you in game or are they just no. have, they have a, a catalog of like a million and they just show one? I don't know how many there are. There was like a dozen or so times where I died where every time it was a new one. And I was like, oh my God, is this game just going to have insane number of these? And then it, it happened, you know, there were a few deaths where like nothing happened. But then things and, – and they weren't tied to anything I did in game. It was just like this little moment in the family. And then – there started to be these things as I would get deeper and deeper into the dungeons and do certain things and beat a boss or something. There would be like I came upon a wolf that was murdered by uh, the demons down in the dungeon and its little cub was standing there and I had to fight a boss and the demons were really hard, died on him like three times. And finally, I went down and found that and killed them. And then I like adopted the cub and then the cub became the family pet. And then the hmm. next time I went down in the dungeon – that event didn't happen, but I found a different event where I found like this medicine stuff. And then the medicine I fed to the cub in a cutscene after I died or the family members did. And then it like nursed the cub back to life. And so there's all these things that change and affect the dynamic of the house that you've now done in the dungeon. And it's just this, like the story of this family that is so beautiful and captivating. And it gives me, such a new reason to be playing this kind of game aside from the fact that it's super addictive and fun to just be playing the mechanics of a of a roguelike i think this game is really special again it's called children of morta and it's from 11-bit studios and dead mage is the developer and i i really am taken with this it's it's amazing Man, it 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 just it does look incredible and i and even the animations just watching gameplay video of it just it looks really nice. It just has a yeah. lovely aesthetic. My fear is because I'm playing on this early build that when the game comes out, I'll lose all of my progress. Because I played many hours of this <laughs> into the wee hours of the in the morning, and I'm like, I don't want to go back to start this over again. But um, Sean, I know there are more stuff on, on your on your. Uh, playlist i didn't want to short shrift it so uh, what, what else have you been playing? um well i actually one of the things on my list i'm not actually allowed to talk about because i just yeah i realize we're streaming this right now so the 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 embargo is actually not till tuesday um so oh, bummer. Can't, can't talk about pillars of eternity 2 um it is out i think there's a, a backer beta that's happening right now uh and then there's a press beta which is the same thing just a couple bibs and bobs added maybe um so i'll just say stuff that you already know looking at screenshots the the game engine has just if you played Pillars of Eternity or if you don't know what it is, it's an isometric Baldur's Gate style role playing party based role playing game. Um, and they've what I really liked about Pillars of Eternity was they took that same painterly hand drawn approach to all like the the backgrounds and the buildings and everything else. But Pillars of Eternity 2 does that as well. But they've managed to through some like witchcraft crank in more 3d effects without it looking hokey and weird it's really amazing like water effects lighting effects uh it's it's a stunner graphically it's just a really neat um, approach to that design um and uh beyond that uh which you've seen in there's lots of video and screenshots out there so i don't mind saying it uh and they've also announced they're doing multi-class uh, so you can actually make like a fighter priest or a druid rogue or like all kinds of mix and matches and there's a lot of really interesting uh, combinations there i'm excited about too so uh, that's about as much as i can say about that um other than that uh, i played the hidden ones dlc uh, for assassin's creed origins 
uh, takes place a few hours after, or hours, forgive me, uh, <laughs> a few years, in fact, um, after the end of Assassin's Creed Origins. So it, it it does the thing that I always want. But if you're in the Animus, it only feels like a couple. Well, of that's hours. a nice one of the nice things about this is like you, there's no like there's no ant like you can like that's the great thing about Origins in general. Like you can spend very little time in the current real time real world, and the stuff you did do was <laughs> yeah. actually really interesting. So uh, for once, yeah. I actually didn't mind that. Um, and so this one is just it's more about uh doing that sort of epilogue for for Bayak uh for his uh for Bayak and for his partner um and trying to speak in ways without spoiling stuff um so it gives you like this something that like playing like Final Fantasy 4 back in the day uh or playing like these old RPGs where like I would finish the game and it'd be like happy ending and I'm like but I want to go back to town and talk to everybody and see how they're doing like I want to like I want yeah. this follow up and so this uh Assassin's Creed Origins is about the Assassin's Creed, like the hidden ones becoming a thing. So that's not much of a spoiler. So Origins just takes you a few years into it now. Like Bayak's just a little bit older um, and it gives you a whole new landmass with um, new quests, new story, uh, new assassinations to do, totally new area um, and some really nice character moments that uh, I think that because they got to just really focus in a little more, like for some, I think the cutscenes are a little bit sharper. The animations are, um, the storytelling's better. Um, and they've, they've got some really like impactful, emotional, really excellent character moments that, uh, I really, really enjoyed. So the hidden ones, uh, DLC, I think it's like 10 bucks, uh, was more than worth it. I thought it was just really, really stellar. Awesome. Man, that's such a good game. It's, it's, I can't origins. believe it wasn't my game of the year last year. Like it, 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 it was like my second because, um, cause I thought horizon just did a lot of really great stuff too. But, um, but yeah. Uh, and uh, I've also been playing, speaking of old school game designs, I've been, I've started in on iconoclasts, uh, which is a Metroidvania style game. Um, and part of their, it, I'll just say that so far it controls really well. Uh, you're, you play this mechanic in this whole new, this world where I guess the church is sort of totally in power. And so they control like this, this energy source. And so you, and, and you're not allowed to handle the energy source unless you're a member of the church. And they do this whole, like, it's a classic, like in a way, this is like a truly a throwback because old 16 bit games were all about church allegory and all about like, like, evil religion and all this kind of stuff. And it was always just ham fisted and weird. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be interested to see because they, a lot of the buzz around iconoclast, which has been reviewed really well, uh, has been that it's got like an, an affecting deep story, which isn't something we normally see in what otherwise is like a pretty standard kind of Metroidvania game. Like it controls really well. You slowly unlock abilities, gives you access to new areas. Uh, I would say it's a bit more linear feeling than say, um, or in the blind forest was, uh, or your classic Metroids. Like I actually don't like that style of game a whole lot. Like where you you're in one area in the beginning and then there's something you can't do, but like two hours later you get the thing that lets you do it. And you have to remember that there's a thing two hours ago that you saw that you couldn't do, but now you could. And then you have to go back through right. screen after screen after screen to do it. Like all that stuff. I just, I don't like that so much, but Iconoclast is a bit more, linear while still having some of those elements um, and uh, lots of puzzles and stuff to solve too. So uh, I would say it's definitely worth a look if you like that style of game. And uh, I don't know if you're going to like hang around, wait for children of Morta now uh, biting, chewing your nails. You <laughs> might as well give, give Iconoclast a look like so far I'm, I'm actually really digging it. 
I agree. Yeah, I like that game a lot too. A really pretty looking game yeah, too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing, again, I, I do love that, like looking at Children of Morda, looking at Iconoclast, I do love that 16-bit games aren't just a graphical necessity now, but a genuine art form. And and I think that's a really neat uh, outgrow, outgrow of the industry and this whole indie movement we've seen, uh, is seeing that become a more of an art form in and of itself, which I think is just really awesome. For sure. Uh, Christian, you have anything you want to add here? I mean, Celeste is, <clears throat> there's this game called Celeste that does that too. It's, it's really good. Um, it's really good. The soundtrack is also incredible and it's on Apple Music. I'm assuming Spotify or you can buy it on Bandcamp. It's, it's really well done. Um, my only comment to all this is my, my two and a half year old now is real into Splatoon 2. And, uh, so I'm definitely buying the Nintendo online when it comes. Like, that's the hard part about it, right? You, kids are playing these games and can you imagine then i don't maybe this world doesn't exist but you have like an eight or ten year old that's like real into it and they try to play it in september and you need money i, I guess parents would just buy it but ah it, it rubs me the wrong way a little bit it's it's uh it's a it's a drug dealer my kids are addicted and now <laughs> now i'm twenty dollars yeah, a year one was free i guess yeah i mean twenty dollars a year isn't isn't too predatory it's not it's not too bad but um yeah, we'll see. But Platoon 2 is still a great game. They're getting into it. Uh, my oldest wanted to play a ranked match. And I was like, no, we're okay. <laughs> we're not there yet. She's like, what are those? I was like, oh, those are ranked matches. Those are people that you know take it a little more seriously and a little more competitive. And she looked at me and she goes, well, I play it more seriously than Claire does. Maybe I should play ranked. And I was like, yeah, we're okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still a really good game. So yeah. And then Celeste, I will, don't worry, people. If you want to hear me talk about it, I will certainly talk about it more when I complete it and I will give you a rundown of, of my stats. I'm just not there yet. I am, for people that have played it, just coming out of the hotel is where I am. I think like third or fourth level. So you definitely like it enough that you're going to complete it. That's. I mean, unless I, you know, break a Joy-Con at some point. But yeah, I love it. It's, it's, it's incredible. And it's this version, it's this just one more try, one more screen. And the way each screen is its own, like Sean was talking about for, for Meat Boy, it's, it is these 20 seconds of focus, but oftentimes longer than that because it takes you longer to complete a screen than that. But then when you get to the next screen, you know you have this this Zen moment of taking a breath and going like, I just did a thing. I can stop now if I want to. I don't know, but this one looks pretty cool. Let me try to tackle this <laughs> one. And then, you know, you're two hours in and you you're still chugging through the game. So many good games right now. It's crazy. And and all these games could be like the only game I play for four months, you know, yeah. and, and there's like six of them that come out a week. It's crazy. Oh, one thing we should talk about. It's a news thing, but speaking of so many good games, did you guys look at the Far Cry 5 season pass? Yeah, it looks rad, right? It looks, I want I want that and not Far Cry 5, <laughs> I think. It looks really cool. Yeah. And Far Cry 3 is getting remastered as part of it. And they're doing, just so people if you haven't been watching, they're doing a Vietnam DLC thing, a trip to Mars as one of the DLC things. And the third one, what's the third one? It's another crazy thing. Zombies. Zombies. Yeah. So in the, in the same vein that uh, Far Cry Blood, Blood Dragon. Dragon. Well, the Blood Dragon was, a, was that standalone? It was. Yeah. yeah. They, These they, make, they're maybe smaller, but like small, cool, little weird takes. And then you get access to, Far, the single player from Far Cry 3 also. And so anyway, I just remember that was too many games because that is just around the corner also. That's a lot. My theory lot. is that if these do really well, they'll start as DLC, but they'll end up being standalone uh, later. But maybe not. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, let's move on now. I do want to thank our sponsor, Mac Weldon. It should surprise no one that I'm 
wearing my Mac Weldon's right now because most days I do. Um, they are comfortable. They are stylish. Uh, these are undergarments. These are basics, things that you need and probably don't spend enough time thinking about. If you're like me, most of my life, when it came to the stuff that I wear every single day, it was the stuff that I thought the least amount and I would uh, about, and I would, uh, you know, I would just go into some big store and grab a pack of eight underpants or whatever, you know, boxers, whatever it was and throw them in the cart and not think about it, not even care, just whatever was the least expensive. And that ultimately served me not well at all because I was uncomfortable. Things are scratchy. Things start smelling bad. You get what you pay for and you're, you're, you know, stuff breaks down very fast because you're wearing these things day after day. But with my Mac Weldon's, I feel good. I smell good. These are smartly designed with premium fabrics and it's simple to shop. You don't have to worry about going outside and getting in the car and going to a big store and going through all that hassle. It's all done over the web, which means the middleman is cut out. It's great. It's easy. It arrives to your door. I love getting a new pack of Mack Weldon's because it arrives in this really nice stylish package. I open them up. They all look great. They smell great. They're antimicrobial. So, uh, you know, they, they, don't stink <laughs> like other underpants might. Uh, and these are like undershirts, underpants, socks. They have all kinds of stuff. They look great. They perform well. This is good for working out, for going to work, for, you know, sitting in a chair and doing a podcast for two hours. It's great. <laughs> uh, going on dates. Uh, and we're going to give you 20% off. If you go to MacWeldon.com, M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com and use promo code DLC, We'll give you 20% off. So why not upgrade your wardrobe, upgrade your basics, smell better, feel better, look better. MacWeldon.com, promo code DLC. Get yourself 20% off. Right now, right now. I love when Sean's on the show, cause we get to do tabletop time and I particularly love it cause chances are he's played the game that I've been wanting to play and haven't had a chance to yet. And that is the case again this week. Oh, I'm dying to play fog of love, Sean. Mm. I've heard such good things about it. Yeah. I really want to play this. Are you as positive on it as, as many of the people I've heard? Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's certainly a breath of fresh air. It's, it's wholly unique in the board game space. Um, it's actually des- designed by, I believe the developer. Oh, I should have looked this up ahead of time. I believe he's actually a psych, like a behavioral therapist. So he's someone who has some insight into human behavior and stuff. Uh, and he loves board games, but his wife, really doesn't. So he was like, well, if you don't want to play one of these hundred plus board games that I own, I'm going to design one that I think you'll play. And he basically designed a very light uh, role-playing style game uh, that is kind of setting itself up to be sort of a romantic comedy. So uh, it's just a two-player game and you're going to play two characters. They can be male, female, or you know, same gender in either direction. And you basically create these characters you actually assign traits to each other's characters because they they really go out of their way to say you are not role-playing yourself you're not role-playing yourself uh which is good because if if 
if they said like, oh yeah, you're you're just being you, there's a lot of like really funny cards that would yeah. come up that would maybe actually <laughs> This is not therapy. No, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Although I think that the, it does have some really interesting insights into um, dynamics with your partner. So you make your characters, uh, so you'll pick like a job and you'll like say like, uh, so one of the things you do is you'll pick a job and then the other person, uh, the instruction is like, so you've got these traits in your hand. You'd say, okay, well, what is that attracted you to this other person? And then you actually pick from those traits and you apply them to the other characters. So you're actually giving the other player some of their qualities, right? Like, so like, uh, gla- like nerdy, uh, muscular, uh, stoned, you know, like there's just lots of like all these different descriptions. So you make your characters and then you, uh, you kind of pull out, they have like these different packs. So like high school sweethearts, could be one story that you play out. And then within this whole structure, you're basically just playing out scenes. So at first, like you've got these three, three piles of cards. Like there's actually a lot going on, but I'll try and just really simplify broad strokes. You've got like sweet scenes. Um, uh, what are they? Uh, there's like sweet, serious scenes and then dramatic scenes. And so early in the game, you're pulling a lot of sweet cards, like really nice, sweet, getting to know you kind of relationship thing. So I might pull a sweet card that's like, okay, you're on a, you're for, you're on a date at the restaurant, right? And you're asking your partner, like, what is the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you? And so, or you may end up like asking a question like, um, your partner's serving you breakfast in bed. Uh, here are the four options, like French toast or, um, you know, like, granola or whatever like they kind of have really good descriptions and then each of you are going to pick a choice based on who your character is because you've got these cards that are like your character's motivations like my character might be motivated as a destiny in the relationship to be to dominate it like to be the one who's in control and and like when my wife played it her character uh was like unconditional love was her main motivator and you can actually choose amongst your motivations what you want to be within the relationship. So based on these things, you may pick different in each individual scene that you play out, you're going to pick different things. And so the sub game going on here is trying to figure out what kind of character is your partner playing? How do I get what I need out of this relationship? But also not so, but also not diverge so far that we end up losing the relationship and blowing it up. Like, so it's got this like psychological thing. Um, you're making choices where you both like pick one of four and you flip at the same time to reveal what you chose. And if you both chose the same thing, maybe you get a bonus to your heart. So you both get hearts, but maybe that's not great because one of your goals is you need more hearts than your partner. So you need to like raise your hearts and happiness while keeping theirs down. Like there's oh, just man. lots of different angles that can end up playing out as. And some of the cards are like, some of the scenes are like a visit to Ikea um, or like, it's <laughs> like the real like relationship testing things um, or yeah. some of them. And there's like reaction cards you can play. So like if a choice doesn't go your way in a scene, you could have a reaction card that says like crocodile tears where you can just oh, like, man. you never listen to me. And like, you, and sometimes they encourage you to like not play out a whole scene, but just like actually give answers to the questions rather than just picking like a quality, like a, a multiple choice thing. Um, yeah. So it's just, it creates these situations that are funny, really interesting to watch people play as well. Um, and then you're also uh, trying to raise certain attributes, like being uh, gentle. Like there's a whole bunch of attributes on the board you're trying to raise. And while there's a lot of little systems circling around, it's really simple to learn and understand. And it flows really nicely. Like each game takes maybe an hour to an hour and a half. Um, and whether you're like, like I played it with my wife, but you play with a friend because, again, you're just 
role playing these characters um, and end up and every time you play, you're going to come out with a way different story about this relationship, how it developed, what happened in the beginning, the middle and the end. And at the end, did they both get what they wanted? Did only one get what they want or did they even manage to stay together? Like it's got this really neat board game slash role playing game mix that's actually very unique. We're just role playing characters, Amanda. Whose character's name is Amanda? <laughs> do, you, do you think that it requires somebody that's willing to perform or be extroverted in that way? No, like the stuff that you end up needing to tell, like, um, like the, they'll kind of encourage you. Like, so when you're making the characters at first and you're picking traits that attracted you to your partner, like we just, like my wife and I both were role players. Like we play role playing games. We run them. Um, we do them like recorded for gamers with jobs with GWJ RPGs and stuff. So we're kind of used to it. So like, we'd like lay out like, Oh, well, when I first met you, like you were like, you really, you wore nerdy glasses, which I thought was really endearing. And, you know, I love that you're, you had these broad shoulders and, you know, you put out the muscular card and then you're like, you know, and you were like, uh, I love <laughs> that you wore like vintage dresses. Like you'll just like put out these cards and kind of describe it as you go. The game's just a little bit more fun if you lean into it just a little bit, but it's all laid out there for you. You really don't have to, to make it worthwhile. I mean, I really want to get this game. Yeah. I, well, I've been in, had my eye on it for a while. In, and, in uh, the States, I believe it is exclusive to Walmart. Yeah, um, weird, right? And in Canada, yeah. you can get it at various game stores. Again, that's called Fog of Love. And uh, I think it, it just came out this last year, right? So it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's just come out very recently, actually. Yeah. yeah. I want to tell you about a game that I played yesterday. I went to a friend's birthday party and it was all board games. It was like my dream come true. And we played a game. He got his hands on a game that actually isn't even out yet, but um, it will be very soon. And this blew me away. It was so much fun. We played it, I don't know, five, six times. Uh, And it's a big party game. You can play with a huge group of people. The box says three to eight players. I think the more the merrier. We played it with at least 12. And I think you could even stack more people in there. It, it doesn't even matter. It's basically just two teams. This game is called Decrypto. And it is about uh, decrypting. And the theme is about decrypting secret messages like in the war, right? But the way it works, it's it's kind of similar to Codenames, if you know Codenames. And I'm very high on that game. I think that game's excellent. But it kind of takes what Codename does and flips it on its head a little bit. So there are two teams, and each team has four words that the entire team can look at and see. There's no reason to hide those words. Everybody can see those words. Those words change from game to game, but those are the words for your game. You don't know the other team's words, and they don't know your words. But it isn't about guessing the words. The words are in a little display that comes with the game that are numbered one, two, three, four. And you are trying to guess the correct order. Well, no, I'll say it in a different way. It's kind of hard to explain, but I'll say it this way. So four words, one, two, three, four. What happens is one, the person whose turn it is on your team picks up a card and looks at it secretly and that card has three numbers on it three two one or one four two or two one three three numbers and that person then has to give three uh, a clue that consists of one word per number 
to get people to guess the word on those to guess the correct number, right? So your team knows which word corresponds to which number. You're giving a clue to that word and they need to respond with the number. So the actual word is irrelevant. It's only the number that corresponds to the word that you're trying to guess. So let's say the words are balloon, dog, paper, and plane. And I get one, two, three. So balloon, dog, and paper are what I need you to guess. So maybe uh, my, get my, my clues will be inflate, woof, and airplane, right? Maybe that's not very good, but whatever. I'm trying to get you to say balloon, dog, and, and uh, paper. But it, you, so you, you look, your team with those clues looks at the words and goes, uh, okay, one, two, three. And the other team hears your clues but doesn't see your words and has to try to come up with one, two, three as well. So they maybe say two, four, one, and they're just trying to guess. And you go back and forth like that. So you're accumulating and you're writing down all these words as they go and you're accumulating more information about the word. So if the word is balloon and my first clue was inflate and my second clue is rubber and my third clue is clown and my fourth clue is birthday, that's enough to get my team to guess that word every time because they see the word. The other team is trying to guess which number those words correspond to and they're getting cumulatively, they're getting a pattern of words that they sort of see Oh, those all go together. Now I think that every time that kind of word comes up, it's number one. So the first time the enemy team can get your three-digit code correct, they have to do it uh, twice to, to win. The first time they do it, they get a, a token. Second time they win. They have to do that. Or if your your team is unable to correctly get the code, knowing the words, twice you lose does that make sense it does like i'm, I'm staring actually uh, someone in the twitch chat linked to a picture of people playing the game and yeah like it makes sense like any game that has like you've got a piece of paper and a pen and you're writing things down as you play is instantly interesting to me like there, there's something about that that i just find really compelling i've got a game for you it's called uh econ 401 class notes and here's how you play no <laughs> it's it, guys, this game is so much fun because it's not about guessing the word. Figuring out what the word is is very helpful because then it can help you, you know, understand the pattern. But the thing that became so wildly fun and inventive about Decrypto as we were playing it, the first couple of games we played were like, okay, we kind of get this. But then as we played it more, you realize, oh, the way you play this game is you try to set up patterns and then screw with them to mess up the other team. So if I'm saying inflate and uh, rubber and th- now maybe they're thinking, is it, it, it maybe it's a tire. And then if I say car for something else, for another word, then they think, oh, that's one. I get it. Now we're talking about a tire maybe, or that seems like it, it, it corresponds with that column and it throws them off so they say the wrong number but my team who's looking at a word that car does apply to and it's a different word gets it right so it's all about like setting up patterns and then subverting those patterns or 
creating a sort of false trail for the other team so that you can mess with their minds and and make them think that they've got it figured out when they really don't. It is wildly fun. So much fun. I would like to ask you a question, Jeff, and and please know, and, and, and Sean, feel free to chime in. Please know I am not critiquing how you explained this game or any game. Legitimately, I am not. My, but have you played Celeste? <laughs> Dude, listen. <laughs> Celeste, the board game. It's uh, just up on Kickstarter, and it's actually just a board of the game. It's, it doesn't matter. Um, and, and I think it's just my personality or uh, maybe because I – didn't grow up playing these games as often as, as you both do. But I feel like listening to you or even watching explainer videos online, I, I start to kind of glaze over and then get like a panic attack feeling. And it's just too much information. And I just want to play the game. But like when we play in person, Jeff, the times that we get together and play, I find that easier to get into. But like I think what keeps me from playing board games and perhaps why I've gravitated toward video games is that most games or the games maybe that I play, you kind of just start playing, right? And you're playing and then it'll introduce a mechanic and show you how to use a mechanic. Like in Celeste, for example, when you get this, um, but it just unlocks for you, right? And it's not sitting down and having someone run through this whole thing and then my eyes rolling back in my head and you saying, look, 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 we'll just start and then you'll you'll figure it out. And then I'm like, okay, great. Yeah. But, I'm, I'm actually the same way. Like uh, with board games, I hate reading manuals. Um, although I will, because you do need to learn if you're the, if it's new and you're the only one who's got it and you need to learn it to teach it. Uh, but I, I'm a learn by doing kind of person. And actually that's something fog of love did, which I really, really adored uh, that I didn't mention is that fog of love says, okay, so here's how you're going to set up the game. When you're first starting, there's a bunch of cards that say tutorial on them. They say, don't bother with the manual. Just pull the first card, read it, and do what the card says. Huh. And you literally play out the game in this tutorial mode that just tells you every step of the way what you're going to do next. So you're doing it as it's telling you to do it. And then it says, okay, do this for a while. And then once this card comes up from the draw pile, continue with the tutorial. Like it's, it, You don't see that in board games, but it's something I'd love to see more. Is there like a... Did, there's, are you, are you, you're talking about... Have you played... Um, there's, a, there's three games like that right now. They all begin with F. Uh, they're one word. Yeah, like Fable Fruits about? and like... Yeah, Fable Fruits works like that. There's a Freeman and Freeze game. But there's these simple games. I can't remember what they're called. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. I, like Fury and Font or something. I don't know. Uh, anyway, they work like that. Yeah, it's, I'm, it's, it's a great way to go. I'm curious if there's also, and it's just me not having it, but like a board game language almost where, you know, if someone's really into a game and they start talking destiny, like hardcore destiny or, you know, any game maybe that has a big scene, it seems like there's a bunch of proper nouns in it. And as someone reads, it's like, you got to, you know, grind up for the Osiris and then come back down on the raid. And then you've, you're, you know, whatever, I'm doing a bad job explaining it. But do you think there is like general board game language that as you play... So even if yeah, I've never played this game because I'm well-versed in yeah. board games in general, I understand like mechanics. Christian, you start talking to me about a car and I have the same experience. I, I, it's just every subculture has its own vernacular and that's going to be – it's going to be a little in-groupy and off-putting to those who aren't acclimated to it, right? It's not – just be, I can I can I can tell you this is a social deduction game, you know, that has um, – you know, or I could say that a game is a hidden role, role selection game that, you know, has uh, worker placement. And, you know, those are all things that if you're in the 
board gaming space you understand and you have a touchstone to and you it makes sense and that's like that with any hobby any any field of study is is got its own lingo and its own you know uh, things that people will understand so i don't don't think that's unique to board games i think it's fascinating because like when we do play or i play with anybody i have such a or like you know bergman or whoever someone's like gotta play this game and i play like this is so fun and then i go to board game geek or somewhere and try to watch explainer videos or you know whatever tabletop with with will or whomever and i watch these things and i'm just like uh maybe it's just not for me and there's i I haven't been able to bridge to cross that bridge yet from like having fun with friends in person and then consuming media about it on my own what i will say is that perhaps one of the unique quirks of my personality that makes me love board games is that one of the things i truly enjoy is that moment of learning (laughs) i i am i love they call it hermeneutics, right? The, the, the study of understanding. I love going from not understanding something to understanding it and board game, like a new board game is that moment compressed in time. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I love that. I, 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 th- I, it just is one of those things that tickles my pleasure center of like, Oh, I get it. Oh, I understand why this game is cool. Ah, I understand how these systems interlock. Oh, wow. That for me is, is just fun. So maybe that's one of the things that makes me like board games. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder, I think my oldest daughter maybe has, is more like me where it's, unfortunately we get things pretty quickly, but then when we don't get something, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just try something. <laughs> Let's do something else. Uh, yeah. Interesting. But I think, you know, you tend to have fun once you learn and it doesn't take long for you to learn. No, 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 totally. Totally. It's that disconnect between having fun when someone is there guiding you through it. And then me trying to like, Oh, I'm going to buy a game for me and my, our parent friends here by our house to play. And then I just, I'm just like, nah, I just can't, I can't cross that bridge yet, but I'll just come borrow from your library. Well, yeah, please do. The other thing is uh, you should buy Looping Louie for your kids right now because I played that for the first time. We had a Looping Louie tournament at this party I went to. Okay. And it's a just a pure dexterity game and it's ridiculously fun. Uh-huh. Anyway, uh, Looping Louie. Uh, moving on now uh, to the end of the show. Uh, we do have our parting gift coming up. So please do stick around for that. But Sean Andrich, thank you so much for blessing us with your presence as I always enjoy. Uh, hanging out and talking games with you. Thank you so much. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. Tell the people where they can keep up with you and your goings on on the internet. Uh, oh my goodness. Uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, Sean Andrich. Uh, it's S-H-A-W-N-A-N-D-R-I-C-H. I figured I'd just take my name, which is already, there's so many ways to spell the first part and nobody uses the second part. I figured I'd just make that my new Twitter handle. Um, yeah. Instead of my old one. Uh, so at Sean Andrich on Twitter, uh, my website is gamerswithjobs.com. Uh, we have the weekly Gamers with Jobs conference call, which uh, Jeff has been on in the past. And we also have our G. WJ RPGs, uh, which uh, we do, which are these. Which Jeff will be on in the future. Uh, yes, indeed. I have. Uh, so I'm going to be running. I've run them offline here and there, uh, but I'm going to be running uh, uh, the next one. We cur- our current series is called Heroes of the Realm, which actually my wife is running, uh, and she's doing a fantastic job with that crew. Uh, and I'll the next one is going to be this. Uh, Man, I don't even want to say too much about it yet. It's going to take place in 16th century Rome. I don't mind saying that. Uh, so I'm very excited to uh, to do that RPG. And Jeff is going to be a guest character for the uh, first couple episodes, which will be good. 
I am so excited about this. I have to tell you, I am such a fan of what you guys have done uh, to make these kinds of things very fun to listen to. There are a lot of people doing this now and many of them are not easy to listen to yeah. <laughs> because they just sort of just record their whole thing and make it very, you know, just hang out with us, which is fine. But uh, you guys, I find it so much more uh, palatable to an audio experience, which is a big, big key. And I'm, and so high quality and the stories are, so, the storytelling is excellent. Uh, I'm so excited to do this. Uh, Christian knows that I, I uh, was, he was asking him to help me come up with some fun uh, backstory for my character, um, which I'm still working on, but oh, man, I, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this. Yeah, so. As someone who actually runs it, like I'm, uh, I, I love like kind of giving some questions to players and then they just come back with like the stuff I'd never even considered possible. And then I have to go and review like, uh, the overall like structure of the plot or like things that I, I had some ideas for ways I need to tweak, uh, the world. Cause it's kind of a magical realism kind of thing. And, um, I've been having a blast just researching the era to be perfectly honest. Like it's a really fascinating time in history. So it's going to be interesting to uh, do a role playing game there. So if you go to just gamerswithjobs.com, uh, right on the front page, there's a little, one of our little content squares is always the GWJ RPGs and always the conference call. Then we have a great community and a lot of articles and stuff there too. So there's lots to, uh, check out awesome uh, christian how about you what do you got going on this week uh kind of usual stuff this week what i wanted to talk about is if um march 6th i will be headlining Lestats in san diego so it's not in la so if you're it's i mean it's close it's still san diego but if you're in san diego or know anyone that is going to be there um i'm starting it's it took about two years between my first two albums my first album and my second but i'm in that you know it's been about a year early process now putting together the next quote-unquote hour um, so I'll be trying a big chunk of that March 6th in San Diego at Lestats. It's at 9 p.m. It's a free show. You can look for that. And then I'm back on social media. I mean, I kind of, but I'm putting out new <laughs> new content. <laughs> you can't miss it. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Spicer. And then Instagram is Christian underscore Spicer. Uh, Twitch is Christian Spicer. And uh, the geeky other podcast I do is at least 20 more minutes. You can find it at patreon.com slash Christian Spicer. And then episodes also go out Fridays on the Uninformed Opinions podcast feed. Christian, you had what? Two months of no yeah, social media? About. Yeah, it was real good. And now you're on the other side of it, back in, back in the muck with the rest of us. Kind of, uh, I'm on a one-way mirror side of it right now, which is also, it feels good, but it also feels a little... Um, egotistical. It's weird. I'm not sure. I'm. I'm not. I haven't come to terms with social media yet. But yeah. what did you learn from your two months away? Uh, I was happier, legitimately happier. I found myself engaging with people more. It's all stuff that you'd think you'd hear. Um, I, that that impulse to just like look at something on my phone went away after about a week, where I'd like pull up my phone and be like, no, don't check, don't look. And then the other side, people describe giving up sugar. Yeah, yeah. And the other side of it is, for better or worse, like I know less of what like projects my friends are involved in, in the industry, which is, you know, I've got jobs off of social media before. So like I'm, I realized by avoiding it, I am hurting potential career prospects as I find a big, Hey, this thing is coming up. Writers submit here. Like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot to tell you about that Jed Apatow mm-hmm. tweet. That I, mean, I got you joke, but that, <laughs> that stuff really happens and it has happened and it will continue to happen. I um, really should have forwarded that to you. My favorite part, you jest, but my favorite part is that having been off for whatever it was, six to eight weeks, you included and other friends have started texting me 
both their and other people's tweets so that I don't miss them, which I find so adorable. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Does it, does, it as a does it like text you every once in a while, just yell at you about being a patriot or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> no, thankfully, Jeff leaves those out. Uh, I only get I only get in the dark tunnel, Jeff, of those texts. So okay, it's, that's, uh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I I see Christian in person enough that I can be like, "Can you believe what he did now?" <laughs> yeah. uh, I only had like ten right. off social media, and when I came back, I was just like, "Wow, I missed almost none of this." And I ended up just putting a lot of filter words into my Twitter to just totally filter out certain things. And Twitter's a much nicer place now that I can still keep up with what my friends are doing. That's that's kind of been my solution after my little break with it. Wait, one of your filter words is Canada? No, what? no. Uh, and but it is the Patriot might be in there. It's possible. I'm just saying. <laughs> you don't tweet much, by uh, the way. It's weird. What's that? Much. It's weird since I put off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, anyway, if you would like to keep up with me on Twitter and get all of those wonderful musings from my brain, uh, I'm at Jeff Canada with two N's and one T. Uh, I also have several other ways that you can listen to me. I can talk. Movies at you if you want to listen to the Slash Filmcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Or uh, you can hear me talk comedy and science on We Have Concerns, which you can find at WeHaveConcerns.com. Let us move now uh, and wrap up the show with our parting gift. Sean, do you have something to help people get through their week? Uh, I do. And this is kind of a weird one for me. I, I used to watch anime once in a while when I was younger and I fell off it for the last, I don't know, 10 years at least. Um, you know, I used to watch your cowboy bebops and whatnot. Um, but uh, I, I, we have a kind of a thread dedicated to anime on Gamers with Jobs and there's a lot of discussion there. And a lot of the anime just, it just seemed like there's a lot of really interesting stuff out there. So, um, Oh boy. Like, I don't, it's hard for me to talk about this stuff because anime is such deep waters. Uh, and it's, and it's so in, almost inherently problematic, uh, with so much of its portrayals of, of women and, and just so many different things. Um, and photorealism. Uh, you have problems with photorealism? Uh, <laughs> not, not the ones I've been watching. Um, so I've, uh, <laughs> uh, on, uh, if you go to crunchyroll.com, uh, they've been running the ancient Magus's, uh, Mag- Magus's, Magus's bride. Uh, so the story is basically, it's sort of a Beauty and the Beast-esque approach, which is, uh, this girl, um, enters this, enters the world of this, um, ancient mage who, his head is like he's he's like eight feet tall and his head is like a horse skull or something. He's half fairy creature um, and he's trying to learn how to and he's half human. So he's trying to learn how to be a human and she's trying to help him understand the nature of being a human and stuff. But it's done in this. It takes place in England. It's done in this lush, gorgeous um art design that they use uh they they play with a lot of like old uh fairy tales and fairy creatures um and stuff uh that i really love and it's got this sort of urban fantasy quality to it um and it's just it's a lovely piece of anime um even though again like there's just some like the first episode like he's she's like for some reason offered herself to like be put like to be sold as like a, a housemaid or whatever, for some reason. And he buys her and then makes her his apprentice and says, he's going to marry her in the first episode. Uh, and it's just like, I'm watching him like, I don't know why everybody likes this so much, but as I kept watching, I'm like, Oh, they kind of justify this somewhat. Oh yeah. That's a little weird, but I get it. And Oh, and it's just, it's, 
it's just like I constantly with anime and some video games, you just got to kind of like work through some of this stuff. And some of your favorite things are just kind of weird sometimes. Um, but I, I've just been utterly uh, delighted by it. Uh, so it's called The Ancient Magus's Bride. Don't judge me. <laughs> it's on Crunchyroll. Uh, Christian, how about you? You got a parting gift? Uh, end caps at grocery stores. They get me every time. Not end caps, the aisles, the, the, every time. The store, everything in the store, you know, that, not just the end cap, the aisle, the. <laughs> Everywhere. I go in with the list and I come, come out with, uh, so much more. This I found at Trader Joe's just as at the end, but, uh, it's spin drift. Maybe it's been around for a while. It's, uh, sparkling water. What I like about it versus LaCroix or some of these other things is that it's sparkling water and real squeezed fruit. Yep, that's it. So it has calories because there's actual fruit juice in it. I think this one has 15 calories, but no added sugar. And it's just sparkling water with like, it's it's like someone squeezed a lemon in it. And uh, it's real good. It's real good. And I, I don't know how I drink enough LaCroix and that stuff anyway, but like, what is that flavor that has no calories and no sugar and no, like, what is it? It seems it seems weird. At least this I know, I know what it is, and I like it. And I found it at Trader Joe's. It might be other places too, but it's called Spin Drift. We got a listener that sent in a parting gift, which you can do uh, alongside any other comments or questions you might have. DLCfeedback at gmail dot com is the email address to do that. This comes from John Peterson. He says. After Christian suggested pull-ups last week, got me thinking about my gaming workout routine. It's easier and more beneficial than you might think. While playing a multiplayer game like Heroes of the Storm, there's usually some downtime when you die, especially late game. Use your death timer to do push-ups. Just start with 10 each death. When your arms get tired, do jumping jacks. You'll notice a difference even after a couple of weeks, and it requires no extra time commitment. I feel like this is directed directly at me. I love that. We have a friend that does something similar when they read books between chapters, they'll do pushups. And I, I love, I, I just love one. I love this because it's getting physical and, you know, working out geeks and sneaks, stuff like that. But two, I love it for you specifically, Jeff, as your wife walks by and you're like four hours in a heroes and you're like, <sighs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, definitely disincentivizes dying even more. <laughs> That's awesome though. I love it. Yeah, very very cool. Thanks, John, for sending that in. Uh, my my parting gift is uh, I got bias lighting. Do you guys know what bias lighting is? <laughs> I see it on Twitter all the time from you. Yeah, I know it's like it social, it's like gaslighting, right? It's just like a <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just have been exposing people for their bias. All over the place. <laughs> uh, no, um, I uh, it's uh, it's lighting that you put behind your television, like a strip of LEDs behind your television that backlight your TV, and it actually increases the contrast and makes watching TV much easier. I actually uh, f- um, kickstarted a, a thing called Dream Screen 4K. I was like, I don't know, more than a year ago that I kickstarted this thing and it finally arrived. And I am completely sold on the idea of bias lighting. Unfortunately, Dream Screen 4K has been problematic. I need to dig in. Oh, man, if anybody from Dream Screen 4K is listening, please reach out to me. But I need to dig in and go to their forums and it's been problematic. But ultimately, I think the concept is really cool. It has it is dramatic. It really Im- improves the visual. It makes it seem like the image is like sprawling across the back wall uh, uh, that your TV is on. Uh, and this dream screen one in particular is it like goes through your system. So you actually plug your HDMI into it and then it into your TV. So it's intercepting the signal from whatever 
you're giving it to, you know, either your Xbox or your, your PlayStation or your Roku or your whatever it is. And it does the color of the LED based on the color of the image. So if on the right-hand side, it's red, it like shoots red off the right-hand side. And if it's, you know, whatever color on every edge, so it just extends the color of the image and changes as the colors change. And it's very dramatic and beautiful, but I've been having lots of problems with the screen screen thing. It flickers weirdly. It creates artifacting on my image so that I'm hoping I can fix that. But ultimately I'm in a big fan of how it looks when it's working right. And I think people should look into bias lighting if you haven't heard of it, because it's, um, it's dramatic and cool and really improves your image quality. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, not your image quality, but just your, your perception of the image. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Sean Andrich and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in the chat rooms that are hanging out with us in real time as well. We appreciate that. Um, thanks to all of you that download the show and share it with your friends or talk about it on social media or even better, review it on your platform of choice. We appreciate the five-star reviews. That helps people discover the show and is cool. Uh, thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star. We will be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.